Welcome to First Mile's Climate Heroes. I'm your host, Bruce Bratley, founder of recycling company First Mile. On this show, we meet and learn from the climate heroes who are building solutions right now to tackle climate change. Renewable electricity is a critical element of a decarbonized future. But when you flick a switch or plug in your electric bike, there's a lot of infrastructure at work to get you the power you need. The national grid transmits electricity throughout the UK at voltages up to 400,000 volts. It consists of 90,000 pylons, 185,000 transformers, we'll be hearing a lot about those shortly, and enough power lines to go five times round the equator. But the model for the grid is over 100 years old and most of the engineering took place over half a century ago. And its design was to distribute power from large centralised, usually fossil fuel generators. And today the grid has its problems and particularly for renewable generators that are scattered across thousands of locations and can provide intermittent energy at varying currents and different voltages. But thankfully, our guest today, Ionate, is working on this. And in this episode, we're looking at problems and solutions for getting lovely decarbonized renewable energy into your homes and businesses. And I'm delighted to welcome on this episode of First Miles Climate Heroes, Lucia Mazushi-Donna, co-founder of Ionate, and who are future-proofing the power grid by updating transformer Technology. Lucia, welcome to First Miles Climate Heroes, and I hope I didn't make a complete hash of uh, pronouncing your name. Thank you for having me, Bruce. It's a pleasure to be here. Brilliant. Great. So, Lucia, tell us, please, first, how you became a climate hero, how you got involved in Ionate, and um, give us some context, if you can, probably adding a little bit to my terrible job of explaining what the national grid is, which most people sort of take for granted because it's so invisible, but provides a a critical backbone to our country. Thank you for, for that intro, Bruce. What I think is really important to highlight in the very beginning is that this problem that we're looking at with the energy transition, renewables essentially overhauling our entire system, is not just a problem in the UK. It's not just an issue of national grid, but we're looking at a global challenge that all economies in the world are now racing to solve. And what, um, and what is the problem? Have I, because I sort of probably haven't done a very good job of explaining it in the introductions of what is the problem we're trying to solve? I think you made a, an excellent uh, job of doing it because at its core, the issue is that we've got an energy system that was designed for a very, very different way of life than what we're trying to achieve in the next decade. So originally, we had a few centralized points of generation, and we sort of managed the system through its endpoints. We either turned generation up or down, or we tried to we could try to manage consumption. But what's happening today with the energy transition, renewables decarbonization, but also electrification and this more prosumer collaborative type of energy system that we're trying to build is that it becomes a lot more decentralized. We've got millions of points of generation. I think there was a, a figure from a couple of years ago from the UK that we had, I think, 80 points of generation, and now we've got over a million. And we've got, you know, people participating more actively. They're trying to use their solar panels to feed back into the grid. They're trying to, you know, potentially look at the EV batteries also drawing energy, but also feeding back depending on, on where the demand is in the system. And what we still have in place on the infrastructure side is still that, that old architecture that we've designed 
some of which technologically has been, you know, designed over a hundred years ago. I'm specifically talking about transformers here. So it's, it's rigid. It was really, really good for the type of system that we used to have, but it's no longer enough for the needs that we have today. And then especially not decades down the line. Brilliant. And I want to come back to that because I've, I've, I've done a little bit of homework around how many power plants we've got and also what transformers do. But before we do, and I'm quite, I'm really looking forward to getting quite geeky around this. Can you tell us a little bit about you and how you got involved in RNA and uh, what your background is? Are you like a whizzy electrical engineer? What are we, what, who, who are we talking to today? I'm not an electrical engineer. I've got to be really honest with you. My background originally has been in psychology. Then I studied neuroscience, did a little bit of business. So this, you know, energy system is something that came up after I finished my first degree in psychology. And I started looking at this problem and I realized how massive it is. And when I saw some really, really good solutions and specifically with Ionate, I just couldn't not take this opportunity to try and resolve it. So as a person, I consider myself kind of like a geeky scientific person, and I really enjoy the problem-solving side of things. And although I was looking at some, some different kinds of problems in my academic career, this challenge specifically around energy systems and just bringing it to people's attention enticed me very much, and I wanted to be a part of it. And are you, that it's fascinating. Thank you. And are you driven by the environmental impact that you, the positive environmental impact that you can have by changing this, or are you driven by it because it's just one of those those sort of itches that you have to scratch? And we deal it. We've got a really inefficient power system in the world, and it just has to be solved. Or is it a bit of both? It's a bit of both. I'm a sucker for pain, and this was a big enough <laughs> challenge. It, it seemed near impossible, and I was like, okay, well, let's see what we can do about it. So I, that that's definitely in it. I don't like things doing too easy. But definitely, I personally am somebody who cares very much about how we are treating the environment and is watching closely how that dialogue develops. And what I saw is that there are some really great conversations going around decarbonization, being mindful of our consumer choices, all of that is awesome. But people tend to forget about the bigger picture when it's involving, you know, all of these structures that we've put in place. And today we've arrived at at a point where the grid specifically is a key bottleneck of every kind of progress that we're trying to make. And it's not good enough for people to buy electric cars anymore. It's not good enough to just keep putting renewables into the grid. We need to change our approach to how we're going to build that system into the future. People can visualize a a sort of a generator, like a solar panel, a wind farm, coal, uh, oil fire power station. And we see wires transmitting electricity all around our lives. We don't really see transformers. There's a lot of them. Where are they and what do they do? Actually, they're all around. And do you know what? Since I've started working in this space, I see them everywhere. They're just really boring looking, and I'm sorry, but they are. And you just sort of ignore them as you go. You see it at the end of a street. There's like a substation. Um, You look out in the train and you see these substations as well. They're just not particularly pretty. They don't catch your eye. You have them at points where you step the voltage up or down. So as we transmit our AC power through high voltages, because it's a lot more efficient, but we don't want that high voltage going into your home. So we've got certain checkpoints throughout the system where you go downgrade a little bit so that the power that reaches your home is that 
220 volts. So that that's what transformers originally are there for. But their function is kind of only that. They're able to do this very simple step process, and they aren't able to do anything else beyond that. Tell us about Ionate. What's your product? What are you doing? Because you've got this very interesting deep technology which is is software and hardware in terms of you've got an engineered product as well as the software technology to run it yeah so we kind of started from the thesis that we've got this this system that's no longer fit for purpose and we can see the types of changes that are happening so if we imagine the ideal system what it would look like and then work backwards from that we arrive at certain points of technology that we will need so we definitely need hardware innovation because now we're dealing with new types of problems in the physics and therefore we need hardware to solve those problems in the physics so our hardware innovation is this essentially new type of building block for the system. So it replaces the transformers that we've talked about, which is everywhere, um, even though you don't notice it. But but our transformers integrates these missing capabilities that will make the system a lot easier to manage. So it's real-time data and real-time power flow control. So you can see what's happening and can react at that point of control. But because transformers go into the nodal points of the system, as we roll out this hardware technology, What we can do is not just correct local issues around that individual device, but use these devices in a coordinated manner to make the entire system a lot better, a lot more efficient, a lot more flexible. We can make it adaptable and essentially change the control paradigm of the entire grid over time, going from this centralized to decentralized control. I can see why that would be much more important because it's... um you're going to get efficiencies and and that sounds in many ways just like you're upgrading the that would be a good thing even if we were still generating power from coal it sounds like a good idea it's a good idea but i'm not sure if it would be that much needed to be honest this is why i'm saying uh, transformer technology was really great sometimes we're asked like is it just more efficient it's it's not i mean yes it's it's similar but it's not that transformers weren't great already we've you know perfected their design over the past hundred years as good as it gets it's just that's no longer enough we need so many more things so what is the alternative is to have your old passive transformer and then add multiple layers of devices on top as you need. But that's not a very good way of enti- upgrading the entire system. And that's what we're innovating upon. And will the, this, the, the, the I-8 system cope with the fact that you're going to get a varying power input depending on how windy it is or how sunny it is? going into the into the grid can it help with that sort of because one of the big issues with renewables is that they're not reliable or they're not as sort of they're not base load ready uh like a coal-fired power station would be yeah so actually if we get a little geekier we can break that up into two issues with renewables so everybody kind of understands the the intermittency part is the sun shining is the wind blowing if not then we've got an issue but there's another layer to this which is in the milliseconds they can very very quickly change in their output because for instance you know a cloud passes over a field of solar panels and that majorly changes you know, it drops voltage or other things like these, as you say, they're not baseload ready. And so that millisecond level control is actually a really difficult problem to resolve. And that's where we add our most value because we can be the technology that counteracts that really, really quickly and efficiently. Wow. Brilliant. 
and I guess that's why we need to care about it because it's going to take uh, renewables from being something that is a bit intermittent to a lot less intermittent. Therefore, it's going to become cheaper, I guess, and 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 the payback for people who install it is going to be better. Yeah. So the the engineering lingo or the sector lingo that I think people use is intermittency is for the time of day kind of shift. Here we talk about volatility, that like really, really quick millisecond level changes. That's what we help with. That's not what most people think about when they when they consider renewables. And it's true, there are complex issues that come with them, but this is one of them. First Mile is the UK's leading waste management service. We help over 30,000 businesses reduce their carbon impact with our award-winning range of recycling solutions. Go to our website, which is thefirstmile.co.uk to get started today. If you're enjoying this episode, don't forget to subscribe. We have brand new episodes every Wednesday. So your Iron 8 hybrid intelligent transformer, I mean, what's the core technology in there that is it a regular transformer with some some extra computing power on it or is it AI enabled? What's 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 in it that makes it so special? It is a smart version of a transformer in the same way as, you know, your iPhone is a smart version of your old Nokia. So it does include some pretty fundamental deep tech innovation. I don't know how how deep into the details we want to get today, but what I think is really cool about it, yes, it's got some controller on it, but what we've done differently to everybody else is that we're controlling the power flow inside the magnetics of the transformer. And that is something that allows us to scale up to the high power levels of the grid, but stay quite efficient and take advantage of the electronic control through this magnetic control without introducing any extra fragility into the system. So the so the, the the fundamentals of the a magnet with a coil in the transformer, they haven't changed. It's just how we're controlling that and how we understand it to make it smarter. So we have changed that a little bit to make it a little bit more controllable. We add an additional winding into the transformer to control that magnetic flux inside it. But the idea is... Basically, everybody is trying to use only electronics to control uh, electrical power flow, which is one of the two ways, electrical and magnetic. But if you just do it with electronics, it's going to cost a lot of money today because those electronics have to scale up to the high power levels of the, of the grid. But also, there's a there's a point of failure whereby if they fail, they can bring down the entire feeder. And that's an issue. That's something that we absolutely want to avoid in electricity. So we played around with the design. This is why it's hybrid, to integrate the electronics but not put them in the primary pathway of power flow. They're just there to control the magnetics. So if they fail, they're still transformer operation, but we still take advantage of their dynamic control capabilities. Wow. And how long does a transfer? How long, if a transformer was installed ten years ago? I mean, how long before you could put one of your transformers in? I mean, is it is it, is it going to take another thirty years before you've got an Iron Eight transformer in, in every location across the world? Or does it happen quicker than that? Such a good question, um, and it remains to be seen. But what we do know is transformers, on average, have a lifespan of say forty years. Some of them are left in there for longer. But what we do have is a massive aging infrastructure problem in UK, Europe, North America. I think in Europe, half of distribution grid transformers are coming to the end of life if in the next 10 years. So that's a major, major issue that we now need to resolve. And um, 
Yeah, I think the other thing to consider is that because of these power quality issues that are now in the system because of the changes that we were talking about, they are also degrading assets faster than they were used to. So even though if you don't stress a transformer too much, they live for 40 years, if you do, then they can fail after five. So it is kind of paramount that we resolve those issues in our replacement cycles. Is your technology going to make energy cheaper? Because, you know, we've got this major shock in energy prices at the moment and everyone wants some cheaper energy or is it doesn't actually make a significant difference? Look, I mean, the energy system is so complex and your energy bill is made up of multiple different costs. So in that sense, I don't want to say that, yes, if you deploy this, your energy bills are going to tangibly go down. But what I, what I will say is that the International Energy Agency actually came out with a report a couple of weeks ago about uh, electricity grids being the major bottleneck of the energy transition now. And what they said is that unless we modernize the technology, especially in distribution grids, our energy transition is going to be much slower and more, more polluting. It is going to be much more expensive and will have blackouts more frequently. And so one of the things that we do is make the system more efficient, avoid these things and hopefully avoid costs going down for you. Oh, sorry, going, going up. up. Yeah, no, going up. You know, people listen to the show like you know they want to get excited, they want to get, do go out and change the world, and then and then this is like a real deep technology. And should we be talking about it in the pub and be worried about our transformers? I mean, personally, I think we should. It's fascinating, but I mean, tell tell us why our listeners should be bothered about this. Here's that what got me really excited as somebody who wasn't from this space originally. Let me just let me just paint a little picture here because I think it's easier to compare it to something that we know more tangibly. Telecommunications over the past years went through a massive, massive evolution, right? We started with people at switchboards plugging in manually, and then we automated, and then we changed the wiring over multiple steps, and then we got to like wireless and then internet, 3G, 4G, 5G. We went through this whole process over the last 100 years, and that enabled entirely new sectors, entirely new areas of innovations, the, the Googles, the Netflix, Amazons, whatever, Make your pick of what company excites you the most in the world. They would not have been able to operate on people manually switching switchboards. What we've got in electricity is basically an ancient system, but that means that we've got this massive opportunity to modernize it. And with it comes all of this potential for growth in our economies. On the other hand, if we don't do it because we don't care because our lights switch on, Electricity is kind of like oxygen. We do start caring once it's not there anymore. We sort of assumed in our lives that it's going to be there. But the way things are going right now, that is not going to be that straightforward. So my message is that be a little bit anxious about not acting, but also be majorly excited about what can happen if we do. And maybe, do you think countries that don't have a grid or have a very rudimentary grid are, are actually going to adapt these technologies and have a more resilient power supply arrangement than perhaps the West will because we're, we've got this sort of legacy or the global north we've got this legacy system that's falling apart and not fit for purpose whereas if you start from scratch you wouldn't build it like this you'd have distributed gener you know distributed network distributed generators smart um, INA. Yeah, I think my 
generic answer is that it would make complete sense for them to do so. I really hope that that's something that we are quick to adopt and and be able to contribute value in that way. But I will refer to people from those countries because they will know their energy needs better than we do. And I think there's, you know, usually a conversation gap when when one side tries to tell the other what they should and shouldn't do. Do we've got the same issue with the water network? I mean, I know it's not your area of expertise, but are we going to suddenly have a failing water network? I mean, we arguably already have a Thames water with leaks everywhere. What, what is it? Like, I don't know. How do you see it in, in your line of work? I mean, you're kind of in the energy efficiency business in a way. Do you see people caring about it and getting excited about it? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're actually in the resource efficiency business because what we're trying to do is um, keep materials in the in a circular economy and stop the extraction of virgin materials and people do care about it but water is going to be a a major problem globally and the the shortage of uh, potable water Uh, and we you know we're going to run out of resources or they're going to become prohibitively expensive if we don't keep them in circular economies so yeah i mean it's a similar thing it's just i guess a bit more existential when you're looking at it from a global resource perspective yeah People are funny that way. Under you place them until you place them under major pressure, they're not that motivated to change. And I think what what I see in energy is that you know this has been a, a sector that's been traditionally very slow moving with the idea of unless it's broken, don't touch it. Just kind of keep it the way it is. Uh, but the pressure is mounting. It is so big now that they have to change, even though they don't really have the the nature to do so and it is really interesting to now see these energy companies actively looking for innovation actively trying out new technologies much earlier than they used to because now they're realizing that they have run out of time and this problem cannot be postponed for any longer so i wonder if that's going to be echoing across sectors that you will see as well and we see it, I mean, that is very interesting actually, because we see it, and I, I was actually going to come and ask you about uh, demand side management. Are you working on the d- demand side management? Can your transformers switch off parts of the parts of the grid to try and meter out power when there is a shortage? So just like with renewables, we were talking about intermittency and volatility. There's two sides to this. And when things change very, very suddenly, that that is an issue in the electricity system, even though we don't realize because there's somebody keeping the lights on. This is a more and more complex challenge that they're solving every day. And they have, you know, they have auctions for flexibility markets, especially in the UK. It's, it's quite um, developed. It used to be quite a lot in advance. And then we're shortening and shortening that time. So they have to think about, I think now, our head market where people just bid in resources for that market. When we talk about demand response, that can be a little bit in advance as well. And that makes sense if we're talking about, you know, people switching on and off their their home appliances or even like bigger consumers, manufacturing plants or, or shop fridges turning up or down. That can be a significant part. And I think consumers have a massive part to play in this. But what we're adding on the demand side game is to add some capabilities inside the grid to react really, really quickly. So because we're controlling power flows in real time, there's a little bit of wiggle room that we can go up or down inside. So even though we say you get 220 volts in your home, it's never really exactly that. It can vary a little bit within margins. And our device's capabilities to, to vary um, power flow within those margins to adjust 
consumption at a substation level. And if we do it with enough devices, that's a very significant capability where we can complement that consumption side as well. Well, that's very cool. So you just get that sort of little marginal gain, but you're doing it across the whole grid and then it gives us a bit more. And it's it's something that's, you know, it's in the hands of who's operating the grid rather than them asking consumers to, in the California heat, please not turn on their uh, AC. So when incentives clash, there's a tool in the hands of the system operator as well. On this show, we're building a hall of fame for climate heroes, and we always ask our wonderful guests to leave something in First Mile's Climate Heroes Hall of Fame. So what or who would it be? I mean, it's it's really hard to think outside my own field of thoughts every day. So can I put electricity infrastructure in there? Because that is not necessarily the first thing that comes to mind for people when they think about climate. It's also stuff that we build out of things that we mine from the ground. So it's not instinctively climate friendly, but it is absolutely crucial if we are going to use electricity for our energy needs into the future and we're going to build cleaner economies with that. So my choice is energy infrastructure. Perfect. I love it. So, Lisa, what's what's coming up that sort of um, that you can tell us about that you're most excited about at Ionate? So, you know, we've talked about the infrastructure part of our solution quite a bit, and I think that's very, very cool. But what excites me the most is a couple of years down the line, once we actually have these devices in, in the field, and then we can show these systemic benefits that we can bring in with our software platform through coordinating the capabilities of our devices. I think that's going to be very cool and opening a lot of possibilities for managing our energy systems better and smarter. Um, we, we've ran some simulations on what that could look like, and we were able to show that just by having our hybrid intelligence transformers in an, in an average grid instead of the traditional ones, you can get 33% more distributed energy resources, so that's your solar panels, heat pumps, etc., without having to upgrade your grid. Um, 25% more power through your existing poles and wires, so that defers a lot of the super expensive capital upgrades that we're looking at with the grid, and a 6% reduction in power losses. So that's saving you power more in the system for free. Wow, it's huge. It's huge. Yeah. And what does success look like? I mean, do you have to, like, is success, if you looked at the UK, replacing all of the 195,000 transformers that are on the grid? I doubt it. But what what's the sort of, how do, how do you measure success at INA? What's, what's good look like? Yeah, we're more kind of solutions oriented. We want to work with our partners and resolve their most pressing issues. And I think we see a lot of different kinds of issues, should that be with solar PVs, electric cars, just the generic energy transition issues in in various different countries around the globe. And what success is for us is to help be able to go in and help enable them to continue their energy transition journey and hit their, their goals that they set out for themselves. It is going to be through our technology, but we want to make sure that it's not about selling devices, but about actually making a difference. And it is going to be an absolutely 
huge impact if those numbers you just quoted uh, come through, which I'm sure they will, because just if we can avoid building more power generation as the demand goes up, it'll be a huge, uh, huge plus for the planet and a true climate hero. So thank you very, very much, Lisa, for coming on First Mile's Climate Heroes. It's been absolutely fascinating to hear about the work of Ionate and how we can upgrade the grid. And it really does feel like it needs to, to be important work to be done when it's, you know, the models were, the engineered models were 100 years old and some of that infrastructure has been in for 30 or 40 years. So really good luck with your work and thank you for coming on the show. Thanks so much, Bruce. It was my pleasure. I'm Bruce Bratley, and you've been listening to First Miles Climate Heroes, where we meet incredible people making an impact to tackle climate change. If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and subscribe to the show. We have brand new episodes every Wednesday.